0: The experience of being, a letting go of doing, a presence, eyes seeing beyond the forms, ears hearing the vibration of light, every sense pulsing in and out, a dance of knowing and forgetting, of trusting and doubting, of grasping and releasing. Now just let me remember when I have forgotten beauty is transparent. I see truth and divine connection. Knowing is already here. I am whole and connected. I am supported within and without. Let every day be a remembrance, a claiming of truth. From the Luminous Self by Tracy Stanley. I'm AC Brown, and you're listening to Is My Aura on Straight, a podcast designed to help you start living from your core instead of your conditioning. Each week, we'll have deep conversations that will help you create a powerful transformation that shifts your perspective in life, love, and business, with topics ranging from spiritual self development, human design, astrology, Metaphysics, and everything in between. In this conversation, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tracy Stanley. Tracy Stanley is the best-selling author of Radiant Rest. Tracy is the founder of Empowered Life Circle, a sacred community and portal of practices, rituals, and tantric teachings. Tracy is gifted in illuminating the magic and power found in liminal space and weaving devotion and practice into daily life. Tracy also spent years as a Hollywood producer, and she used her spiritual practices on as many sets as she possibly could. Take a listen to our conversation tracy your book is just phenomenal and the biggest thing that goes on in my mind is between this book and your last book who were you before this book like during your first book like who were you and who are you now with this second book mm,
1: that's such a good question. And the reason why that's a good question is because the second book is actually the first book proposal that I sent out to publishers before I even had Radiant Rest as a seed, even in my mind. So I was, what the question you're asking is just so pertinent because I was able to really see from the original book proposal. To having the experience of writing Radiant Rest, which was a request from Shambhala, from my publisher. The publisher reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to write a book on Yoga Nidra. Mm. And I originally said, no, I said, no, I'm doing this other thing. And I really want to do this other thing. And there's all these other people who have written a book about rest or Yoga Nidra and you know, thinking like, no, that's not something that I have to add. And then I started to get some requests from people asking when they would come to these rest cave events or these rest, you know, retreats or workshops, Mm -hmm. they were asking, do you have a book? And I was like, oh, I need to listen to this because this is spirit coming through them to tell me you're supposed to be writing this book. So the experience of writing Radiant Rest was a beautiful and magical experience of resting into my creativity Mm. and allowing creativity to rise. And then coming back to that um, book proposal and saying, okay, now I want to like, try to see if I can get this book published and reading through the book proposal was like, oh, I wasn't ready to bring this book out into the oh, world. Oh, because
0: this book, I mean, this book, the luminous self is chunky. It's And when I say chunky, because I read a lot and I have tons of self-help books and books and books and books, it's chunky in the material. So I can see how, that's why I was just like, "Hmm, this is a big contrast from Radiant Rest. And I assumed that, you know, okay, we show up differently for the second book, but this was the first one, and you just spirit, I guess, wasn't ready for you to write it.
1: Yeah, you know, what I would say is that the luminous self required a lot of vulnerability. Ooh, that worked. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of being seen, which because you you read the book, you know that one of my obstacles in life was being seen and being able to claim my success because the my in, in this dharma in this lifetime, my success for whatever reason is tied to being seen and to being out in the world, as opposed to the natural thing for me to do, which is to be a hermit and to be reclusive and to be isolated and to just be with my books and my plants and my walks in nature and my husband and family, right? So, So, oh
0: gosh, (laughs) this, this is why I'm so happy that you're here because that is a struggle of mine of being seen. And when I read the book, I was just like, holy cannolis, I'm doing the same thing in writing mine. With the personal stories and the teachings and the lessons and the downloads and the way you did it was so beautiful, but it also took not only vulnerability, but you had to step into this version. And what what do you think or how do you feel that was a challenge for you? Mm.
1: You know, I think that it has a lot to do with age, first of all, right? And the wisdom that comes with age. I think that what it also has um, been able to show me this, this idea of being vulnerable is that being in community and allowing the personal stories to come forward with that vulnerability and really not really caring you know, what anybody thinks about it, because you know that there's a teaching, there's a lesson, there's something that somebody might be able to glean for themselves. I've been Mm. able to see that. So in some ways, I really think that there's a level of uh, vulnerability and wisdom that really came from the pandemic Mm. in a different way. I started to think about, um this book in a way of well if i was creating a time capsule for people in the future to be free or if i were to no longer be here what would be the legacy of practices that i would want to leave behind in addition to the rest practices that i already wrote about in yoga nidra and i said okay these are the practices but a lot of self-help books give you either the practices and tell you okay this is what you should do but they don't have a lot of context as to the underpinning of why and how it works Yeah, especially when you're dealing with um yogic philosophy or spiritual philosophy that was written thousands and thousands of years ago in a different time when we didn't have all of these distractions and we didn't have um so much division in the world right that and that is also then mirrored within us, right? This mm-hmm. division within us. So I feel like it. a lot of the gifts um, that I received from the pandemic were community, were being able to hold space for people to rest, to hold space for people to experience their grief and to be with their grief and community. And all of those things, I think, strengthened that part of me that needed to come forward to be able to tell these really personal stories and share the teachings and the practices that I think are helpful for our liberation.
0: They're beyond helpful. Liberation is defined as the act of setting someone free from imprisonment, slavery, or oppression. It is a release Liberation is freedom from the limits on thought or behavior. And through this practice, we are allowed to embrace community care and to be able to speak to our community about what is going on and how we need help when it comes to our healing. I mean, the book is... Just Chef's kiss and the community piece that you have in each of the chapters, me having certain things happening personally in my life recently, I don't know how I could heal without my community. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. And Mm -hmm. you touch on that. So how important is community care, community healing when it comes to becoming your best self and being who you are?
1: It's everything. It's everything. I mean if we if we look at nature, nature thrives in biodiversity. Nature nature thrives in being in togetherness, in connectedness. We are nature. We're no different than nature. I know that, you know, dominant culture would like us to believe that we are separate from nature. Mm-hmm. And when we're when we feel into that place of oh, I'm separate from nature, that is the moment that we lose the thread of the true self. Mm. And so if we can be in community, that's one way for us to start to mirror the macro that is outside as part of our micro world. And to think about being in community, not in a way of being extractive, not in a way of, oh, I'm going to be in community because I'm going to get something out of it. I'm going to feel better. But how can you be in a reciprocal relationship mm. with community? How can you give and receive? How can you hold and support? How can you be allow yourself to be held and be supported within community? And I think when we start to really examine our relationship with community, we start to see these places within us that are fearful Mm -hmm. perhaps of being held in community or untrusting. And we have to find the right space in order for us to be able to heal. And lastly, community doesn't need to be a large circle of people. It can be five people. (laughs) Yeah, it can be two people. It can be two other people. And that's, you know, and that's it. And so we need to find our people and then we need to let our people know what it is that we need in relationship and in community.
0: <laughs> that is the big thing. Letting people need what what letting people know what you need has always been a struggle for me. Um I'm an only child. So and I'm an only child on I'm the only only child in my family everyone else mm-hmm. has a brother or sister. <laughs> so mm, okay. I am lone okay. wolf. Yes. And so asking for what I need has always been a challenge. And when you think about your life and you weave in so many great stories, when did you realize that asking for what you need was part of your self-advocacy and not being needy?
1: You know, first of all, I'm still learning. Okay. <laughs> so well, let's, just let's, <laughs> let's just say that. Let's just say that. You know, what I would say is I was raised to be very self-reliant. I was raised to be very self-reliant. So my my mother was an educator and a healer. My dad was an entrepreneur. They, you know, really kind of, um, I feel like, uh, I want to say they kind of isolated themselves away from any kind of, uh, socializing with the exception of one or two people, really a, a couple, one other couple, we weren't allowed to have friends at the house. We weren't allowed to have people over. We weren't allowed to go to sleepovers. They were very strict. So the only, um, examples I saw really of community and holding was because my Nana was a preacher Mm. and she, it was her Mm. church. So everyone was also coming to her. Right. So I think what I, what I saw was these powerful women who people were coming to them and that their needs were not necessarily being expressed. Right. Okay. And my dad was an entrepreneur and he was definitely that type of person who would, he set his sights to do something and he would get it done, not relying on anybody else. Right. So it was only um, not too long ago after doing kind of uh, a lot of deep work that I started to just notice that, oh, what I learned to do was not to express my needs, but to feel as though I was the one who had to you know, satisfy all of the needs in which I I might have. And mm. so I really had to kind of sit down and say, okay, well, what are my needs? And who am I willing to express these needs to? Because even in relationship, and I wow. remember someone... Somewhat- <laughs> That's not... We could do a whole podcast on oh, that. Oh, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast. Yeah. I remember somebody saying to me years ago, um, one of my best friends, Bill, he I was single at the time. I had just gotten a divorce, like this is over it's 15, 16 years ago. And he said, You know, are you really ready to to have a relate a relationship? Because you kind of give off this vibe that you don't need anybody. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean I don't, I give off this? And I, and that's when I really started thinking about it. It's like, oh, you give off this thing that you don't have any needs. So there's Mm. nothing for a partner to offer because you're not ask you're, you're not asking for anything. And it's kind of intimidating. That's what he said. It's intimidating.
0: In many cases, but not all. Some of us were taught that isolating and handling our issues on our own was the best way. But in actuality, it is the most harmful thing that we can do for ourselves because humans need connection now more than ever. A recent study done by BetterUp.com said that three in five Americans are lonely. And to make matters worse, this loneliness epidemic started at the height of the pandemic. Humans require deep bonds and deep connection. The connection that you experience with another person and you exchange positive energy and you build trust is like no other. You need that just like you need to breathe. So how, well, let's, let's, we gotta, now we have to go down because how do you then express your needs? And I know you didn't not need anyone because that everybody needs someone. That's right. However, right. right, We're born to need people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you just have learned, I guess, especially back then and how many black and Brown people of color have learned to survive. So we have, you know, I heard all my life, you could do bad by yourself, you know, all of those things. So how do you then transition the appearance is what he's saying of needing Mm -hmm. people? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. You know, what it looked like for me was a softening. Was a softening and also a recognition of what are the things that I need? That I think I'm giving myself, but if I were in partnership or in community or in deeper friendship, I would be able to receive that on a different level. So I had to open myself up Mm. and creating the list was the first thing.
0: And what did that list look like? Give me give give us some examples. One or two.
1: Yeah, the list would have looked like intimacy. Okay, tenderness Mm. support and support is a big one
0: yeah yeah because in your in the book um it's chapter seven you talk about the audacious mind map Mm. and that really stood out to me because thinking about the needs and the six auspicious categories and kind of breaking those down. And so that's why I wanted to kind of point that out is how do you know what intimacy looks like? What support looks like? Do you get really granular and give specific examples of, I want someone who I can pick up the phone and call when I'm crying. Yes. Yes. Okay. Exactly.
1: I want somebody who is not afraid when they when there's conflict even Mm. to be able to hold
0: in the psychology today viral article what's behind the rise of lonely single men Gregory Matos, Site D, explains that heterosexual, younger, and middle-aged men are the loneliest they've been in generations, and it's probably going to get worse. He addresses how that population is considered the population that will have the most long-term singles that they are not meeting healthy standards for healthy relationships for men there is a skills gap and if not addressed there are going to be fewer dating opportunities and longer periods of them being single the skills gap that gregory refers to are that this subset of men are less emotionally intelligent do not have the capacity for emotional intimacy and are not willing to get the therapeutic or community help that they need in order to have healthy long-term relationships. We listen, Tracy, we out here struggling as single girls. <laughs> Just telling you to stay at home, stay with your man. <laughs> that. Is that right there? is the lack of, and and I'm not saying that this is not putting this out there as a a end all be all, but there is a difference now in um, people's level or capacity for emotional intelligence and emotional intimacy. And (laughs) for the girlies who are healing and doing our work, you know, sometimes we're coming up against that uh, huge gap in emotional yeah. intelligence, self-awareness, and the capacity for emotional intimacy. So that's why this that chapter stuck out to me of uh, a uh, uh, just have I, I was reading, I was like, okay, I need to get get deep. And you touching on that now is extremely important. So when you make that list, when you get granular, what do you think was The turning point for you to believe that that could happen and that it could show up for
1: you? Oh, that's a good question. It was the person arriving and showing up. Oh, it and out and not long after I wrote the list in that very granular way. And we can talk about, yes, you know, people believe in manifestation. I do believe that it shifted a vibration in me Mm. to be able to first of all, take off a little bit of the armoring, mm. right? And to to make that listen, to just be like, oh, let me look and see where do I see examples of the kind of intimacy that I'm interested in? Where do I see examples of the kind of support? Mm-hmm. Where do I see examples of this relationship that is not codependent, but- is beautifully intertwined and yet and expansive. also, can be, and yes, and spacious. Uh. And so, when this person arrived, who I'm now married to, um, I had to notice oh, there's a skepticism uh. that shows up, and it and it because I was being slow, I got to see all of the things that were showing up for me, even though. I was feeling the vibration of this. This particular person is someone who part of their dharma is to be a support. Mm. That's that's just how he's built. Right. Doesn't matter if you're a stranger. It doesn't matter if you're his wife. That's just <laughs> the, a part of his being. That's that's a part of his being,
0: and that's that amazing. brings him
1: joy. Mm. And by me denying the support, which definitely happened, like, of course. oh, I got this, I know how to do it. Don't worry. I don't need it it almost was painful for him. Can,
0: of course, I could imagine. Right? Cause you're like pushing up against a brick wall. Yeah. When you're trying to love someone and then you're not receiving your love. Yeah.
1: And so it was really about. feeling into what is important to this person? What is important to me? Do these things align? And they really aligned. Mm. And it's not to say that every single thing was in alignment. Oh, right, 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 right. But because I had been working on this vulnerability as well, you know, the beginning of this, that allowed me to soften and to ask the important questions to myself where I could use practices like the vichara practice that I use and that I talk about in the book, which is like a timeline practice of mm-hmm. deliberation, right? It's this idea of deliberating until you find the cause of something, right. until you find the seed of something. The root. And so The root, yeah. And so there were many times where I was feeling a certain kind of way And was like, oh, let me trace this back until the last time I felt this way and keep going all the way back into the timeline until I can touch into the first time I can remember feeling this way. And once I get there, now I'm remembering and knowing this has nothing to do with the current situation at hand. Mm -hmm. This has to do with something that happened a long time ago that was never unwound, that was never talked about, that was held in my body. And now it's time to release that because I don't want to carry this forward.
0: If you Google manifestation, you will find a multitude of tips and tricks from the law of assumption to the law of attraction to all of Neville Goddard's works. Searching TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, finding coaches, groups and different things in order to manifest your best life. However, Tracy explains the correlation to yoga and the body and how that helps manifest and align with your highest desires to bring in and call what you want. Do you feel that, and I'm sure you do, but I want to touch on this Manifestation, we talked about a little bit, and the connection of manifestation in the body. What does that mean for you? Because you've been practicing body movement and moving things through, and holding on and letting go, and how that's changed your life. What is how, how does that connect to the your manifestation process and to your yoga practice?
1: Mm. You know, I feel that when we talk about this idea of manifestation, we can think about it as a magnetism mm. and we can think about that as a frequency. What is the frequency that you're holding and what are you going to repel mm. and what are you going to attract? Mm. <laughs> Oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm having
0: personal flashbacks.
1: <laughs> and so yeah, so so that's part of it. And what I what I noticed I can give you an example around rest mm. is that once I started to really incorporate rest and yoga Nidra into my daily life, mm-hmm. and this is from decades ago. I started to notice that the people who I was attracting into my life or were attracted to me had a similar regulated nervous system.
0: Woo! that that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) But continue. Yes. So they had a similar nervous system.
1: And the the partner that I was with at the time when I started really delving into this practice deeply, let's just say he was often dysregulated. <laughs> I could ab- <laughs> and, I could imagine. <laughs> and what and what I can say is that it created more s- it separation.
0: Oh yeah,
1: that's all um, I can do. Yeah, and so it created more separation, and and at the same time in my work life. I started to attract these different work partners who were similar. And then people who would come into the space and to my office, this would happen a lot. People would come into my office and they would start to ask me, what was it that I was doing? Why did my why did I seem so calm in the midst of turmoil? What things could they? And at some point it was almost like I should hang a shingle. Up onto my office because now I'm doing Reiki sessions and all kinds. Right, you of got like trauma. Co- come coaching, here, right? Co- coaching <laughs> sessions, <laughs> but it was it became that my office literally became like a healing space, and then eventually mm-hmm. I started offering yoga and at lunchtime. And so, what I would say is that it shifted um, my env- the environment around me. And when I would go into an environment or I would read a project that didn't feel like it was in alignment with the frequency that I was holding, I had to stay in my that the integrity of the frequency mm. in some ways. And that eventually is what led me to leave being a Hollywood producer. Because in that kind of environment, you're with many, many people. And you know, one of the last movies that I produced was with Forest Whitaker and, and a director named Tim Bowie. And when the three of us were together, we said, okay, we're gonna hire people based on energy. We don't care about that. their resume or about how this and the, whatever, we're going by energy. And we did that. We interviewed all of these people and we really tuned into our own frequency around what does this feel what does it feel like to be in the presence of this person? Forget about the resume so much. And it was one of the most incredible experiences that I ever had on a on a film set. But at the same time, that's very hard to do. There's too many people involved in financing and and making a movie. But how do you
0: stay true to that frequency that you create and say yes and no to the things that are presented that are out of alignment. And and I asked that because I just having a conversation with my therapist, who's an amazing black woman. And she's like, why don't, why don't you believe that you can have what you want? Why do you, Mm. you, you, you get the download, you get the energy from source, from your ancestors, all of these things. And then you, go a different path. So how do we stay in that frequency to say, yes, this is in alignment. No, it's not in alignment.
1: Yeah, it it takes a couple of things, I think. Um, for me, it took courage, right? Because a lot of times people are coming with the big fancy something, something that looks really shiny. It's always and shiny. It, and it looks like it's something, it's on the list of things that, that are supposed to mean success or mm. to mean the next level, right? Um, and so it takes courage. And I think th- the biggest thing is it takes trust. Mm. And I think that the over-culture has trained us not to trust our inner knowing. It, they've trained us to, to not trust the voice of the ancestors and the downloads that we receive as being valuable. And I think that if we do that practice of the Vichara is like, when did I when did I learn not to trust myself?
0: Happened so young, we don't even remember sometimes. Yeah. And you talk
1: about that with the
0: in chapter nine about the ancestors having your back, which really stood out because I'm always connecting to those that have come before me and my altar, all of that. And that practice has taken such a it's just been a journey to build that relationship and to trust because, you know, I've been psychic my whole life. My grandmother knew all of those things. But the trust part was unlike any other. I did not know how to really lean into, oh, I can trust this. Mm -hmm. I trust what I hear, what I know, what I see, what I feel. And going back to that trust, where do you feel that people in their, in their journey to their luminous self, um, do you feel like that trust part is the hardest part that h- holds people back or one of the hardest things?
1: Mm, it's, one, it's definitely one of them. It's definitely one of them. Trust is definitely one of them. And then courage to act on what you know. Because a lot of times it goes against the grain. Everything, yeah, it goes against the grain. We, tr- we go- try to find the logic, right? Well, the logic, yeah. Sometimes logic just isn't part of it. However, you can go back in time and make a list of all the times that you had the download, that you had the intuition, it, it, and that never you failed. didn't listen. Never fails. and what happened never fails
0: it's like (laughs) it's like a movie it never fails you know the plot you know the ending it never fails yeah it never fails and I always tell my clients and I'm sure you tell your clients this and people who I work with and just talk to because I slip up sometimes and I don't trust all the time you know that's just I'm human Mm -hmm. and but it never fails when you go back and you look when your intuition was right spot on and you either ignored it or you followed it, it never steers you wrong. Yeah. But that's why I love the book and your other book is because the body is so important to have that relationship. So you can know what that feels like because the body doesn't lie.
1: That's right. And, and you'll feel it. You will notice The difference between the intuition download frequency or vibration that you feel in your body and the hard no. We've all walked into a room or gotten into a situation where we were like, oh, something feels off. And so that's a different vibration. And we need to be able to pause. I think the rushing, the fact that we rush around, right? It is. It does two things. The rushing around creates this situation where we don't have time to notice the vibration. Oh, right. Because we're in the doing, we're busy. We're busy. We don't have time to notice. We don't have time to listen. Yeah. And then when we don't listen, at least my experience has been when I don't listen, I then forget. Do you forget the the intuitive hit or do you
0: forget to check back in?
1: All of the things can you happen. Like, All, All of them. them. All of the forgetting.
0: Mm. And that's
1: why this journey of the luminous self is really a remembrance. Yeah. Because we have been separated from the remembering and the biggest remembering that we've been separated from is that we are nature.
0: Mm. That is just, I mean, like I said, the book is phenomenal. And it's chunky. And I say that in the most, I love like it. just, I love, cause it's chunky. And I'm just, when I, you know, since I'm in my process of writing and, and doing all the things and reading other people's work, you just have to show up so differently, you know, when you're doing this work. I mean, I laugh at my therapist cause I've been back into therapy weekly because I'm have to go back and talk about stories and, integrate it with things and it's just like, oh, this this is a lot. (laughs) This is this is a lot. And so that's why I asked at the beginning, like, who were you writing this book and then writing your first book? How Mm. do you think that you have changed in between them? Mm. Like what is the biggest thing in your practice in your work with your Mm. clients that you were like, okay, this is who I am now and why I can come to this now.
1: Yeah, I I feel like I'm more courageous. And I also mentioned before, more vulnerable. I think that, you know, death practices, because there are a few death practices and contemplations on impermanence that are in the book, mm-hmm. um, were something that were part of my personal practice. I very rarely only in small groups would bring these practices out. And what I realized during the pandemic was that we are wholly unprepared for the eventuality of our own deaths let alone the death of someone close because we we a lot of us have been stripped of the rituals from our ancestors mm-hmm. around the rites of passage and around the rituals of death that literally all include community yeah they all include community they all include being able to be vulnerable to be able to be held to be able to be supported. And so I feel like I am just becoming much more expansive and much more multidimensional than I ever have been.
0: Yeah. But how do you how do you do death practices with your old self that no longer aligns?
1: Well, that's the beauty of doing the death practice is that it will it burns away everything and then you essentially get to feel into the essence of who you are and that essence is something that cannot ever be burned Mm. you know it's said that there's no fire that can burn it there is no weapon that can cleave it it was there before you had a name and will be there when you no longer have a body
0: Mm. I, I would hope that myself included and everyone listening can lean into that more because it's it's hard because as I say sometimes when I talk about that part of the old self new self and that death that my old self has done so much for me and has protected me from so many things so sometimes letting go of those pieces is like oh man like we got through this together like I know what you're capable of, but I can't take you with me.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you have to say that out loud. Sometimes you have to say that out loud. And, and also to think about how many times have you died and been reborn just in this lifetime? Listen, I
0: have, I have notebooks and notebooks. Right. Journals and
1: journals. So it's it, as scary as it seems in the moment, you've already done it. You've already done it many, many times. You have died. You have released a part of yourself. A part of yourself has been cut off, whatever it is, however it happened, and you reconstituted yourself. Mm. And so, mm. yeah, I do think that it's, it is scary. Um, but if we continue to think about, and this is where this idea about nature comes in, right? right? Is that if anybody who has a garden or has any plant babies at home. When you garden, you see that seed that gets planted and whatever it is that flowers from that seed. Eventually that thing is going to be blooming and beautiful. And that's the part that we want the world to see, the blooming and beautiful, the successful, the this, the that. But then at some point that thing is going to start, the petals are going to come off. It's going to start to get dry. It's going to die. Yeah but it also is a rebirth. There's some time where things are going to go fallow and they're going to seem like that's the end, but then there's something else that is going to be born from that. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we look at life as a cycle, that then it becomes less scary because it feels like, oh, this is not a hard stop. If I if I leave this job that I can't stand that I know is making me sick that I know is making me you know miserable right this isn't the end this is actually the portal to a new beginning
0: mm-hmm. that makes so much sense so what do you want readers and anyone st- stumbling upon this podcast to to, if you have one takeaway from the luminous self, what would you want people to know when they're getting ready to buy this book?
1: Mm, I would want them to know that freedom is possible.
0: Ooh, I felt, <laughs> felt that. I felt that. Oh, that is amazing because we need to know that it is possible.
1: It is possible. And I think we get free little by little and we remember and then we forget again and that's okay. And this is one of the reasons why community is important because when you have other people that are on the path and have that emotional intelligence that you were talking about and emotional maturity, they can hold you and support you and also reflect to you. And I think it's really important to to have that as a part of our growth.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Tracy Stanley is phenomenal. She is just so radiant, so awesome, and just a light. And I am so blessed that I got to interview her. Do yourself a favor and pick up her new book, The Luminous Self, Sacred yogic practices and rituals to remember who you are. When I tell you that this book is so good, I read it from front to back. It has tons of different tools and techniques and questions to self-inquire, get you unstuck, talk about different goals and dreams that you have to come home to yourself. You can find Tracy at tracystanley.com or on Instagram at Tracy I want to thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Is My Oral On Straight. Make sure you have a great day filled with good vibes and good energy. And remember, don't let anybody fuck with you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Is My Aura on Straight. This podcast was edited by Adam Ross. If you loved this episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, bye-bye.